It's just fine with me. One of my favorite movies, and if you have a chance to see it, you should. It's, it's really good. It comes from the mid-90s, though. Uh, it stars Sean Connery and Richard, Richard Gere. It's called First Night, and it's the story of Camelot and Arthur and Lancelot. Uh, and the very first scene of that movie, the very first scene of the movie shows Lancelot, and he's traveling town to town. Uh, he's a sword fighter, and he's challenging the local uh, people in their, in their villages and in the towns to fight him. And he beats all of them, of course. And so he's kind of on an old-fashioned barnstorming tour. But he, he comes to this town, and he fights the biggest guy in the village, and he's way too quick for him and way too good with the sword, and he beats him quickly. And the man looks at him with a smile on his face and says, how do I learn to fight like that? Teach me how to fight like you. And Lancelot says to him, well, there's a couple of things you need to be able to do. The first one is you have to know your opponent. You have to study him. You have to know what he's going to do before he does it. The guy says, I can do that. He says, the next thing you need to do is you have to be aware at what point in the battle is the decisive moment that determines whether you win or whether you lose. And he says, I can learn to do that. He said, the last thing is you have to not care whether you live or die. And the man can't answer. And most of us couldn't answer. Because fear is a very real part of our human existence. It's a part of our design. It's a part of our daily life. And fear can do a lot of crazy things to us. It can cause us to literally not remember moments of our life because they were so traumatic. It can cause us to become hyper-focused and hyper-aware. It can cause us to run. It can cause us to be paralyzed and stay in one place. Fear is an incredible element of our emotional makeup. And most often in Scripture, when we're dealing with the topic of fear, we see a phrase that is one of the most often repeated phrases in all of Scripture. In fact, the most commonly used phrase of Jesus himself. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. You see, in that scene in that movie, the idea that the character is trying to get across is, if you're afraid, you can't fight the way I fight. You have to be fearless to take the chances I take to get the results I get. And not everybody can do that. It's very, very rare. And we see that play out in Scripture as well. People who live in fear often make poor choices. People who live in fear of the wrong things often are not aligned with God's will. Fear, we see at play in Scripture in many different ways. Why do God's people fear? Why is their fear as a part of our story? Well, we see Israel afraid many times. They feared physical conflict. They feared death. They feared starvation, the loss of livelihood. There was a great deal of fear, and they appealed to God as a result of their fear, that he would intervene and that he would save them and protect them. Uh, we, we see the early Christians in the New Testament fear persecution and take steps to try and avoid that. Meeting secretly, being cautious with who they talked to and what they said. And we, history tells us about the early church, those first two, three hundred years of the, the Christian age, when scripture was hidden and carried secretly to avoid the Roman government and even um, the religious authorities even earlier before that. Fear has impacted God's people from the beginning, but you and I, 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 I mean, I know the world is full of unrest, but 
I'm not generally afraid that war is going to break out here in our country. I mean, I've seen Red Dawn. That's a good, good movie, the original one at least, not the remake. But I don't, I'm not, I've never been afraid of an invasion on our own shores. And I've never really been afraid of persecution. I've never been afraid that someone's going to treat me poorly for my faith. Yeah, sure, there's a slight here and there or someone takes exception to a particular view you have. But I mean, real persecution, real threat to my livelihood, real uh, excluded from society stuff, that's just not who we are. It's not our experience. So what kind of fear do we fight? What kind of fear do we battle? It's more fundamental fear. It's a far more... Uh, core kind of fear that we're confronted with and one that echoes throughout Scripture that we can understand. I think as Christians today, one of the things we fear is not so much the hard persecution that threatens livelihood and health and safety, but it's the judgment. We fear judgment. The judgment of others, the assumptions they might make. We fear the perception of others and it being negative. We see that in Scripture as well. Remember Peter as Jesus is on trial, and he finds himself sitting with a group of people, and they're having a discussion, and they say, well, weren't you with him? Don't you know who he is? And what does Peter do? Oh, oh, no, 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 not, not me. That's not me. I don't want you to think I'm with this guy who's in big trouble right now. You know, I think it's fair to admit that certain elements of Christianity and the Christian world and even the church have received some very negative publicity. And it's okay to admit that. We've got some elements within our faith that have made some really bad choices, done some pretty awful things, and not, not just within any particular denomination, but across the board. And people outside of church communities, they don't make the distinction, by the way, about that. They don't make the distinction about what brand name you are. If they've had a bad experience with Christian people or with a church, you're part of it too. And sometimes we feel that judgment. They say, well, you know, I had this happen to me at this church I went to. Or I heard this group of Christians was saying this and that. And to tell someone that you believe in Jesus Christ, that you're a part of his church, that you're a Christian, that can be a very dangerous thing when it comes to the judgment of others. Because they might judge you on an experience they had that has nothing to do with you. And Peter, very similarly, is trying to distance himself from the association with Jesus because that's a dangerous moment for him to be associated with Christ. And there are moments in our life where it's a little more dangerous to be associated with the church because in that moment in time, perhaps they are not the most favorite group of people in our world. And we have to face that question. Oh, aren't you one of those? Aren't you with him? And our fear of judgment paralyzes us from accepting and affirming our faith in Jesus Christ. And as Peter denied him, whether out loud or in our hearts or in some measure, fear causes us to deny our place in the kingdom. We fear failure. This one holds people back a lot from really grasping and holding on to what it means to be a child of God. We're afraid we can't do it. We're afraid of not being able to measure up 
to what we think God expects of us. Remember the parable of the talents? Remember when Jesus told the story about this ruler who has this money and he's getting ready to leave, he's going to be gone, and so he calls his servants in and he, he gives them a certain amount of money. He gives them a certain amount of money and it's not the same for everybody. That's also important. He recognizes that each of these people is going to have a different level of responsibility and yet he holds them all to the same standard of being good stewards of what he's given them. You and I are to be stewards of what God has entrusted us with. And there's a whole lot in that story, in that parable, a lot of allegory there about Jews and Gentiles and religious elite. There's a lot of things you can dig in and, and find in that story. But the real value of the story is this. God has given you a purpose, and he has given you something that you are entrusted with for a period of time that he's going to take back one day. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been given to each of us to share. And people often talk about the story of the talents, and it's because we use the word talent. And talent means an ability that one has or a special skill or something. But talent is a, is a measure of money. It's a denomination of currency. We get our word talent from that word. And so it's money. It's not, it's not necessarily about the skills or the gifts or the abilities you have. If anything, the parable is really a story about compounding interest, but that doesn't sound as fun, okay? Let's be honest. It's about being stewards of what you're given. And it, the, the first person doubled the money, right? And, the, and the, the ruler was very happy with that. And the second person also received a return on the money, and the ruler was very happy with it. And the third person was scared. He was scared, what if I, what if I mess up? What if I lose this thing that I've been given? What if he's angry? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll play it safe. And I'll just bury it. Was the ruler any worse off when he came home to find that some of his money had received a return on an investment, but some of it was kept safe? No, he wasn't worse off. I mean, that's good, that's good asset allocation. You can't argue with that portfolio. And yet he looks at the situation and says, I gave this to you that you would leave it better than you found it. And you didn't do that. Being good stewards of what we've been given, our gospel, our story, Jesus, doesn't mean that we bury it and keep it safe. It's meant to be shared. And that means taking a risk. Because one day, God is going to take stock of his people. Christ is going to come and call his children, home, to be with him. We've been entrusted with the story that will get others there, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said that the will of his father, he says this in, in the gospel of John, the will of his father is that he wouldn't lose any of those that he's been given. God sent him to bring all of us into a saved relationship with God to be brought home to him. And we too are bringing along souls with us as we share the gospel. We're taking what we've been given and we're growing it. And we can bury it and we can still go to heaven, but we've not given a return on the price that was paid for us to share the gospel with those in need. Why? Because sometimes we're afraid that we can't do it. We're afraid of judgment. We fear failure. 
We, we freeze up and deny, and we fail to be good stewards and bury what we've been given. I think one of the great fears that we have, and it's one of my great fears, is we fear being hypocritical. I'm afraid sometimes to live up to what the gospel calls me to because I know I'm not really good enough for that. I'm afraid to really grab hold of what God has in store for me because I'm afraid somebody's going to know who I really am and some of the things I've really done. And I know all the bad stuff about me. I know all the things that God has forgotten because of the blood of Christ. And I'm grateful that he's forgotten them. But I still remember them. And I'm afraid of being a hypocrite. Paul addresses this in a very interesting way. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Paul says, or do you not know, by the way, I like the way Paul does that, this kind of passive-aggressive tone he takes sometimes. does it a lot in Corinthians. Or do you not know, it's, I just like the sarcasm, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, bold statement. We, that's what we like. This is, this is Paul when he's getting real tough on somebody. Hey, you unrighteous people, you got no business in the kingdom. All right, well, let's, let's listen to him go on here. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, uh, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, that's right. You go get them, Paul. I like this. I like Paul when he's really, really giving it to people and saying, you're not getting in. Here's the line. You don't belong. And then you get to the next verse, verse 11, and he says, such were some of you. Oh, boy. That's tough. That's a tough one. It's real easy to sit back and really enjoy the tongue lashing that Paul's giving these immoral people and saying they're not going to inherit the kingdom. And then he turns around and says, don't forget, you're one of them too. The only difference, the only difference. In verse 11, he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in what? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. There is evil within all of us. There is the capacity for darkness within all of us. And sometimes we are afraid to step out into the light because we know that. But what we also have to know is that we can very easily be redeemed by Jesus Christ, by the blood of the Lamb, by the love and grace of God. And Paul here in this really interesting way, shows that hypocrisy only exists when actions and meaningless words do not match up. But those who are truly redeemed by Jesus Christ, God does not remember their sin. They are made whole, they are made just and righteous, and they are called to a better existence. And yes, Paul has strong words for those who live in sin, those who are unrighteous, those who are not made right with God. But he reminds us that we've all been there. And we don't need to run from that sin and hypocrisy because it's, it's God's redeeming of that sin and hypocrisy that makes him so wonderful, that makes him God.
I talked, I think, last week about David, about the contrite heart he will not despise. David writes that in the Psalms. He knows that he is a murderer and an adulterer, and he's been prideful. David gets in trouble quite a bit, and yet he's called a man after God's own heart because he understood, I run to God when I mess up. I don't run from him because it's in my weakness that he's made strong. Hypocrisy and the potential for hypocrisy produces within us a fear to work for the kingdom because we don't think that we're fit for it. Well, we may not be, but as Paul says, the difference that between being unfit for the kingdom and fit for the kingdom is one thing, the power of Jesus Christ in the name of our Lord and by the Spirit of our God in 1 Corinthians. Whether it be the fear of judgment, the fear of failure, or the fear of our own hypocrisy, there are many things that cause us to be paralyzed in our Christian journey, in our spiritual walk. But God is consistent. God is consistent in that he is a God, though he demands that we fear him, a respect and an understanding and a, and a submissiveness to his sovereignty, though he demands that, he does not expect us to tremble in a state of fearful paralysis, not for him and not for anything, because the gospel moves, and we must move too to carry it forward. And God consistently reminds us through Scripture and through his Son, do not be afraid, do not fear. Live fearlessly. If you want to win the victory, if you want to overcome the enemy, you've got to be fearless. You have to not care whether you live or die, because our fate's already been decided. We've died to ourselves. We're alive in Christ. Nothing else gets to touch us. Not the judgment of others, not our own failure, not the hypocrisy that we represent when we live in our sin and try to proclaim Jesus Christ because we've been redeemed. And I want to revisit the verse and expound on the verse that Travis read this morning in Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 1. Thus says the Lord your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. One of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. I love this verse. There's nothing better than being called by name and knowing you belong. And our Father does that to us. But he goes on. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. By the way, the, the, the uh, Israelites, they only worship the one true God but early on, um, they weren't so sure there weren't other gods that existed. We see a lot of fear surrounding, surrounding uh, water and fire and things like that because they thought there might be other gods out there, like Baal, who, who was a god of the water, who lived in the water. And so when floods came, and there was definitely flooding that occurred in these places, you know, they were fearful. They were fearful because they'd heard these stories, and although they believed in Jehovah God and worshipped him alone, they weren't so sure there weren't other things out there. So they had a great deal of fear about some of the elements of nature because they, they believed there might be a supernatural element there. So he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
This also echoes the many times that God led his people through literal water. And the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Now, why? That's the question. It's easy to say it, but why? Well, he's already really given the answer. I call you by name, you belong to me, you're mine, and when you find yourself in danger, I'm not going to let things hurt you. Why is that? Because, he says in verse 3, I am the Lord your God. Because of who he is, there is no cause for fear. The Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now listen to this. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. You see, God, or through Isaiah here, God is laying the groundwork for an understanding about atonement and propitiation. A word that we find very rarely in Scripture and only in Scripture. And it means something to stand in for a debt that is owed. It means to satisfy God. And what does he say? Hey, you're mine. You belong to me. I get to call you by name. And when you find yourself in danger and peril and turmoil, I'm going to be there and I'm going to get you through it because I am who I am. And it's what I do. And I've decided that Egypt is going to pay the price. And Cush and Seba and these other countries, they're going to pay the price. Why? Verse 4, since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Even in Isaiah, even in Isaiah, a book, by the way, which makes consistent reference to the coming Messiah, here we have a reference to God saying something else is going to stand in your place. I'm not going to let condemnation, destruction, death happen to you. I'll let something else take your place. And all those generations later, on the cross, Jesus hung where we should have been. Because he went to the cross, we have nothing to fear. Satan cannot touch us. Death cannot touch us. Sin cannot touch us. The battle's already been won. And we choose to take the journey through the battlefield, but we must do so with an attitude of fearlessness. And fearlessness comes from understanding who we are. Not those who fear the judgment of this world. Not those who fear our own shortcomings and failure. Not those who are paralyzed and make excuses because of our own imperfections. But who take hold of the words of God and the foreshadowing of Christ to understand that God sees us, calls us, knows us. We belong to him. We bear his name. And when we pass through those hard times, he's going to carry us. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us and he would rather something else stand in our place. And that something else came and brought to us a victory over sin and death. Jesus Christ. We've got to live fearlessly. We've got to be fearless in the face of the peril of this world. Knowing that our greatest protection is Jesus. 
and our greatest defender is our Lord God. I hope each of us can approach every day from here on, especially as you go through this week, being more and more fearless in how we live for our Lord, more and more fearless about how we proclaim the gospel and how we, by example, lead others through love and through teaching and through encouragement. We can get there. We have to be fearless. If you're paralyzed this morning by fear, if you're troubled by the turmoil of this world, if you're struggling to overcome those things, you might need to be reminded. And if we can do anything to help remind you, let us know as Tim comes and leads us in song.